0: This podcast was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team for the Junior Cycle Talks channel.
1: Welcome to this week's Arts and Junior Cycle podcast. In this episode, we are delighted to be joined by Maeve Higgins. Maeve is a comedian, writer, actor and podcast host, among much more, from Cove in County Cork, who now lives in New York City. Maeve, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Hi, James. Thanks for having me.
1: We might start off, a a lot of people might have known you as mainly from your stand-up comedy, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that you do as well. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment?
0: Yes, you're right. I do tons of different things. And I think part of that is I'm a freelancer, which means I do some things because I love doing them and I do other things because I need to pay my rent. And uh, and some stuff is kind of in between. So I think um, right now my biggest project is I'm finishing a book of essays, and that's for Penguin US. And that's um, the essays are mainly about they're about my interior life, but they're also about um, the experience of migration uh, to America. Um, I'm really interested in that and. So I would say writing takes up a lot of my time. And then pre-pandemic, I was also doing uh, comedy. I had a show that was once a week uh, in Brooklyn um, where I hosted like basically a stand-up show where there'd be five or six different comedians come up and me and my friends hosted it. And um, so, yeah, I started off in comedy in Ireland doing stand-up. And now it's kind of probably about 20% of my time. And um, but a lot of my time now is is writing and that's a little bit to do with the fact that performance is not happening at the moment but it's also to do with my kind of changing curiosities and tastes
1: okay brilliant we might get into that a small bit as we go along but if I bring you right back to the start as a young person growing up in Cork is what you're doing now did you always know you were going to do it did you always want to be in the public eye in this way
0: I didn't have a clue. I mean, I was certainly one of those uh, kids in school who would get really confused about what I should do and what I should work at. And I used to hate that question when grown ups would ask me like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I I remember saying like, I'd like to work in radio. (laughs) Like, I don't really know what I meant, but I knew I loved the radio and listening to radio and, uh, but I, I certainly didn't consider comedy as a career. Um, and I think that's largely to do with all of the huge changes we've seen. I mean, when I was like 13, 14, there was no such thing as podcasts. There was barely any stand-up comedy scene, at least in Ireland. So I think I've been really lucky in like the changing technologies and the opening doors, you know, for, uh, for women and just for different creative outlets. So yeah, to answer your question, I didn't know what I was going to do. I suppose what I did know was that I loved English class and I wasn't very interested in the rest of school. And I think that kind of makes sense because um, in English class, that was the place that I felt most creative. And I was lucky that I had, you know, a great teacher. Norma Foley was my teacher for English, actually. Wow. Yeah, so she's now the education minister and... Um, And I have to say, she was a really great teacher. She really kind of brought on our creative side, as well as sort of a rigor in the rules of writing. And I remember her talking about, like, you have to know the rules if you want to break them later. You have to understand them.
1: Okay, so English is your favorite subject there. How does that translate then into comedy? And how does comedy come about?
0: I mean it's not easy to draw a line to be honest I mean I think that I was just lucky to discover comedy I saw like a you know a stand-up special Eddie Murphy's stand-up special (laughs) when I was about 16 and I thought like it was hilarious and I just thought he was just the funniest thing I ever saw and uh You know, but I certainly didn't think, oh, you could do that, Maeve. You know, it was just like this really cool art form that I had discovered, but I didn't apply it to myself at all. Um, So it wasn't until many years later that... There was kind of a radio competition where you would phone in and leave with like a funny story. That's how I started. And I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't really know about performing. And um, I just I describe it really, James, like it was a compulsion. And I think that's how self-expression feels to a lot of us. It's kind of like this niggling need that you have to say look this is my experience (laughs) and you know ultimately what that is like you're looking for a connection with others right because then it feels so wonderful when either people laugh in recognition of what you're saying or you know if you're writing people respond and say you put into words how I've been feeling and that's you know such a beautiful part of, you know, the process of self-expression, which is that it connects you to others. And um, to be honest, I didn't really find a way to do that in school. It kind of came along later. And um, I think things are probably different now.
1: Okay. And that connection, do you find that connection like is there a special connection when you're doing stand-up live comedy versus your writing and your mm. podcast and things like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, with stand-up, you know, it's you're literally, you might have thought of a thing five minutes before you go on stage and you test it out, and it's much faster. Like your synapses are really like going hard. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's faster, it's more spontaneous, and it's certainly less thought through than a piece of writing is. Um, And so the connection is instant and it's also ephemeral, which is a really fun thing like today where everything is recorded and put on social media and shared. It's quite unusual to still have this thing that just happens in a room with a bunch of strangers and everyone feels the same thing for a second if it's going well. Um, and then everyone just goes home and so <laughs> it's really magic in that way and then the connection I think that I can form with people through my writing whether that's you know any kind of uh, creative non-fiction work that I do that's that's kind of a different one I think you can really resonate with people and you know it's a bit less fleeting I suppose and you can kind of build up relationships with people over time that you will never know and that you may never even speak to but that's the that's one thing that I've learned you know in the years that I'm doing that work
1: and where does your inspiration come from for maybe those shows you say some things pop straight into your head is there a plan going in or is it just just magically happens
0: so I think um it's really often the best times are when there's and this is unfortunate but like when there's some turmoil happening in my head or in the wider world. I think stage is a great place to sort of work that out with, with the caveat that you're there as an entertainer. So I feel a responsibility to make people laugh, but that helps me to quickly try and make sense of things and to try and make it funny or to try and find what's funny in it. So it's certainly challenging in that way. And, you know, I've been doing stand up for like more than 15 years. So it's a risky uh, endeavor. But I, you know, I really I really do treasure it for for that. So, yeah, honestly, the best days are when you're not sure what's going to come out of your mouth, but you have been feeling a type of way. (laughs) You can work it out on stage and it hits. And that's good comedy to me, you know. I would do the Edinburgh Festival, which is the biggest arts festival in the world. And I did that for many years. And you do the same show every night for a month. And that's a different that's then really working on your craft. You know, that's sort of you have your kind of script. You know what jokes you're going to say. And every night you hone them, you add a bit here and there, you polish it. And so that's, you know, a kind of a longer form way of getting good at your job.
1: if we move on to your writing then so the book uh, maven america your essays what does the process look like for how you write that i mean is that Mm -hmm. all your past put in and your different stories or are you sitting on the subway thinking about it um Mm -hmm. what does the actual process look for writing it
0: so my process for that book i think you know as all of you know because you write as well i'm sure um A blank page can be really intimidating. And so often where I would start an essay is maybe with a piece, a shorter piece I had written for, say, a newspaper. I'm a contributing writer with The New York Times and I write bits for The Guardian, for The Progressive. So often I take a kernel of an idea that I had there and just kind of write from that. So I just, I have a lot of little tricks, basically, (laughs) Keep me away from that terrifying feeling of sitting in front of a laptop and thinking, okay, go. Because that, you know, that does still scare me and I'd love to be the type person who's like I find it liberating I can just go I write It's oh I'm you know the flow but that is not what happens I think writing is uh is hard (laughs) and I'm not and of course it feels fantastic when you've managed to express yourself on the page and I do think writing is a form of thinking I think a good process suggestion that I got that I use is this is a classic essay way to write an essay is you think about a problem that you have or a situation that you do not understand, and you try and work it out. And you know, from that point of view, you can really get going. Um, so I mean one, I suppose one fundamental question I had with the essays in Maven America was, okay, I moved to America. It was relatively straightforward for me to do so. Now I'm here, I'm looking at all of these other immigrants and seeing how difficult it was and is for them to get here and to live here. And so my question was, why me? Why not them? And so when you have a really... Basic question like that, James, that can take you to lots of different places. You can examine your own life for the me part. You can look at the history of America for the why part. You can talk to people, interview people. And I think definitely, as a non-fiction writer, it's also less lonely when you include other people's voices. And of course, you take care with that and you don't co-opt their voices, but often to understand someone else's experience, the best thing to do is to, you know, is to talk to them and to try and understand uh, their experience. And that also helps the writing process because that's material.
1: Yeah. And in in the book, you talk about that moving to New York, which you just mentioned there, which was maybe easier for you than other people that you see now. Um, But you say that you moved to New York to make a life for yourself as a creative Mm -hmm. person. What is a creative person and why did you feel maybe you needed to do that outside of Ireland?
0: So I think what I meant is I wanted to fully explore like different ways I could express myself and to also, I think being a creative person, your surroundings are important. And I don't mean that you need to have, you know, an empty house and a window to stare out of and it it means different things for different people right and it means different things at different times of your life and I think in my late 20s I was living in Dublin and I had a certain number of creative outlets you know I had a TV show with my sister that was fun that was a cooking and comedy show and I also used to run a night in the workmen's club where I would invite like people who were doing interesting things to share what they were doing on stage but I still felt hemmed in and I felt like there's something else that I want to do. There's more that I, you know, I, I felt very ambitious for my creative self. And, you know, other people, you know, they move to Sligo when they feel that or they move to somewhere where, you know, there's the ocean and there's calm. And, there, you know, I think inside all of us and also there's no difference between a creative person and a non-creative person. Every single one of us is a creative person. All that means is you have um, feelings and thoughts that you would like to make material. That's what I would say a creative person is. And so that can come out in the form of, you know, being a storyteller, literally just in your day-to-day. You could work as a roofer or whatever, but it's the way you tell stories. That's your creativity coming out. You could also obviously do up your house in a way that's so uniquely you and that is saying things about how you're feeling and you can basically do everything creatively you know but for me that instinct is really strong like I really want to um, you know I don't I don't want to be wealthy and I don't want to be famous I really just always have this drive to figure things out and tell other people about them and let people know how I'm feeling. Um, and so I think New York for me, it's full of very ambitious people and very and lots of creative outlets and also lots of creative forums that I could join in. Now whether that is you know when I first moved there I would go to the Met all the time, which is um, you know a huge museum. And, you know, I would spend tons of time in the Egyptian section. Now, I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not a sculptor. But there was something about that place that I got really drawn to. I would also go to lots of free readings in bookshops because there's books launched every night of the week in New York. So I got to go and sit and listen to authors, all kinds of authors, you know, novelists, um, graphic novelists and and nonfiction writers. And this was all, I wasn't thinking I want to do this. I was just soaking in all of this creativity. But again, I don't think that like an Irish person needs to move to New York in order to get that. There's also pitfalls in that creativity is very commercialized in New York. So as soon as you make something, you're trying to think, how can I sell this? Or someone is trying to buy it. So there's definitely pitfalls, but I think that, you know, paying attention to the creative side of yourself is really, really, really important, not just for your ego. I think it's just a big part of our lives that we don't always value enough because it won't make you rich and because it won't make you famous. But I still think that it's it's very valuable.
1: Absolutely. And it's something that we do in our arts and junior cycles, really push creativity as It's kind of one of the key skills of junior cycle to take a completely different context on creativity. You also mentioned in the book about a trip to Iraq, which is a completely different context, not Cove, not Dublin, not New York. (laughs) Now I've never been, so maybe it's similar and I don't know, but you say creativity was a life raft when things got choppy for you. And then you went and promoted that in Iraq. Can you tell us a small bit about that trip?
0: Yeah, it's true. I went to Erbil in Iraq and, um, you know, yeah, it's different than Cove. It's different than New York, but there's similarities. Similarities include everyone there is obsessed with tea. Like, it's like when I'm home in Ireland, (laughs) there's just tea all the time. Every, you know, suddenly little teacup appears, (laughs) just like my dad. But, um, and the other big similarity, of course, is I was there to do a comedy and writing workshop with my Iraqi peers and, those are, uh, obviously have had a different life experience growing up in war. And it was bail, which is just 50 miles away from Mosul, which is ISIS occupied, it was at the time. So, yeah, so basically I thought of creativity as a life raft for me because of I've had a very charmed life. Nothing terrible has happened to me, but I certainly would have, you know, turmoil in my mind in the form of anxiety, in the form of depression. And often creativity would kind of come through for me. It would be a path. It would be a way that I could sort of scramble out of these emergencies. Definitely one of the ways it helps me. And I sense the same thing. And I've read a lot about, you know, different artists who've gone through awful situations and it's helped them but anyway so when we talked about it me and my Iraqi peers what came through for me too was that like it's kind of a way to expressing yourself and now I'm not talking about like you know Writing a novel here, they would make really, really funny videos. (laughs) Uh, Some of them, like one girl was a radiologist, but she would also write essays, like I do. Another man was a blogger, he kept a blog, and he worked in um like a shirt shop. We all sort of settled on the fact that it's a way of keeping your humanity intact. Like when really horrible things are happening, if you think of a joke, or if you tell your friend a story, or if you you know, make a new perfume from your old perfumes, what you're doing there is reclaiming, you know, I'm a person who can make things in the face of all of this destruction. Here I am making something here. I am adding my voice or my unique beauty to this world. I don't care that all of this is happening or not that I don't care, not that it doesn't affect me, but I'm still here. You know, I think it was, you know, Louise de Bourgeois. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. She made those big, crazy spider sculptures. And she was kind of, I think, in between wars um artist. And she said that, like, and I'm going to mess this up, but she said something like being an artist is a way of guaranteeing you won't be a murderer. And I just <laughs> thought that was so brilliant. And also it's much needed today. Like this isn't like oh, heart over head stuff. This is very practical because yeah. if we lose touch with our humanity, we are in major trouble and it doesn't matter how powerful we become or how rich we become, like we are doomed. So, um, so it was really bolstering to meet the gang in Iraq and I was really glad to, to have done that. I felt really lucky and uh, we're still in touch today, some of us. So the thing I love about podcasting and the thing I think the reason it suits like younger people or minorities or people who do not get work in radio is that it's quite democratic because it's inexpensive to begin. And you can obviously, you know, it's like social media in that way there's no editing, there's no um, gatekeepers. So I think podcasting I would put along with social media in a way that's really useful to get your voice out there and to connect with other people who are interested in what you're interested in and then build your little army from there now that can also be used for bad there's also a really good case for having editors and for having um you know for keeping your facts straight but honestly when it comes to climate I think every voice counts and I think that you know, whatever industry you end up in or wherever you are in your family or, you know, you we all actually have um, a role to play. Like I, as I said, I used to feel very paralyzed and thought, well, what can like a funny person do about this? Um, but I've figured out ways that I can help. And I think storytelling in any form, whether that's your, you know, TikTok, which is so cool and Instagram, which I'm, le- which I literally learned so much from, like, um, as well as podcasts. I think have been really revolutionary in that in that way.
1: And if we go back to your career, then I'm guessing there have been barriers. Like podcasting, you can go out there, but in terms of like you having to look for work, which is it's different than podcasts. Has there been barriers and difficulties that you've come across in your career? And maybe what advice would you have for listeners in how to overcome some of those barriers?
0: Yeah, I mean, for throughout my 20s, I was just like, just get your rent paid. I was like, I don't, you know, as long as I pay my rent, um, I'll be okay and I'll do whatever I want. And I don't have to, you know think about I never thought like oh I want like a house or I want to like go on this holiday or whatever but I think as well now I'm learning (laughs) and this I don't want to generalize but I would say That me and a lot of creative people I know undervalue themselves in a way that makes our lives a bit harder. So like what I'm saying is there's been periods of my life where I have not been financially secure in a way that if you have, say, a regular job where you work nine to six and, you know, they sort out your taxes for you and, you know, I would say that part of it is difficult and I would say take it seriously as early as you can. <laughs> this is like me talking, this is like the ghost of Christmas future or whatever talking to myself here because it's it can be hard financially because like I want to devote myself to certain things like I just did a master's in migration studies And I kind of realized, oh, like, Maeve, you're paying to do this master's, but like nobody's paying you to sit in class all day and learn. But that's all I want to do. So then I had to kind of scramble and get some paid work. So I think a bit of balance, as my mom would always say, you know, what I've been doing, and this is maybe really babyish advice, but it's really helping me, is every month I write down how I spent my time, what I got paid for and what I didn't get paid for. (laughs) <laughs> and it's really hard at the beginning because you're like oh my god like, <laughs> what am I like um but it's helping me to now get a bit more get a bit more balanced so that I can take care of myself and I can you know uh, not be like this broke artist that you hear so much about
1: and in what you get paid for what you don't get paid for how do you find success in your everyday work what does it look like or feel like
0: Well, that's such a brilliant question. Like, I think sometimes when you're uh, making a living from your creative output, that can get really muddled up, right? Because you think like, oh, I got this deal, right? Like I sold a book or I, um, you know, got a podcast deal or I got this fancy job. Everyone's, it's high status and you feel good, right? But then in my experience, you're on to the next thing really quickly. So like, I remember, you know, I was writing for the Irish times. I thought that was really cool. Then I wanted to write for the New York times, you know, like there's just always one further step. And that is where creativity and artistic output get tangled up with capitalism and get tangled up with consumerism. And that's where your own values have to really kick in and you have to be really clear about what's important. Um, And that's an ongoing process for me to figure out. So right now, what I'm working at is, uh, this is my idea, right, James, of success, which is when what I'm feeling, saying and doing are all in alignment. So if I can get those three things to match up, then that's a success for me and it's the kind of success that isn't grasping and doesn't want for more it's more like an it's already it's kind of a contentment more than a grasping i'm sorry if that's a bit abstract but i've kind of cycled through all the other ideas of success and you know i was in a film and i won awards for it but then there's like i could look like well not enough people saw the film right the well but you know there's always caveats and there's always wanting more so for now I'm working on what I just explained to you which is just feeling like uh solid in myself
1: brilliant brilliant That's uh, really important advice in being content rather than for a constant striving for something that's beyond like it, it, it can be reached in one way but like you'll never be fully Satisfied if no, there's always you something
0: won't. else. Yeah, yeah, like and you think you will. Like it's such a trick, right? Like it's such a it's such a trick. And I felt in um the last few years in New York, which I explained to you, I moved there because it's this ambitious city full of people who are all striving and hustling. And I love that about New York, but I felt for a few years that it's like you know when you're small and you run up the stairs and someone is like pretending to catch your feet. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. And I was like running up these stairs and I was like kind of out of breath and laughing, but and also like, why? What's at the top? (laughs) Nothing.
1: (laughs) Lastly, proudest moment of your career.
0: Well, I get a real kick out of showing my niece my finished manuscript. It's funny, I was just thinking about this last night because. She was a little baby, Avina is her name, when I wrote my first book. And I have pictures of her. It looks like she's reading it, but she's like, you know, five months old. And so since then, every book I get, I show it to her. And now she is such a big reader. Like she's just eight and she reads all the time and she reads like by the swimming pool in bed at night. Sometimes she's like really tired looking and I'm like, Avin, we up reading? <laughs> so definitely my proudest moment is showing her my finished work. And she's not the right audience for it just yet, you know, for like thoughtful essays about like a woman's <laughs> inner life and migration. But like um, that's, I think, being an example to to my nieces and nephews, too that like this is what I do all day I think and I learn and I write that's that makes me feel like bizarrely good
1: brilliant thank you so much Maeve and we wish you all the best in (laughs) the book thank you very much
0: Jim (laughs) it was great to chat to you thanks a million and also like I'm sorry but like thanks to the teachers I think you know a lot of teachers are probably listening to this and as I said it was that one teacher that I had in school that actually did crack the window open to, you know, this whole life of the imagination. And I'm so lucky to have, to have had her, you know, I really, I'm really grateful for that. And I can't believe people devote their whole lives to it. You know, it's just, it's just wonderful. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast which was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team for Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks search for us on Soundcloud or anywhere you listen to your podcasts.